I just wanted to read a brief, just a little brief note uh, to everybody this morning, just because uh, before we get into the conversation about fear and anxiety, I just want to nod the hat, tip the hat a little bit, if you will. Before we get into peace being greater than fear and anxiety, I do want to recognize that in the United States, nearly three million people a year are diagnosed with an anxiety disorder of some kind. Panic disorders, social anxiety disorders, and extreme phobias are all diagnosable and do need treatment. A need for medication arises and added steps needed to be taken to begin to get the beasts of fear and anxiety out of the driver's seat. If you find yourself this morning as one who walks with this type of disorder, please know it is not a lack of faith to seek professional medical treatment. It's wisdom. There are times and seasons and sometimes lifetimes that we may find ourselves in need of the outside help of medication, and there is nothing you can do or not do that will cause God to love you more or less. I say all of this to say as we talk about fear and anxiety and how much greater peace is, I want to say from the get-go, medication or no medication, Christ's love for you is the same. You are loved and should feel no shame or guilt for seeking the assistance of the medical community. Please do not hear, until I get off the meds, I can't have real peace. Please do not see yourself as some kind of junior-level Christian because you have been diagnosed with a condition needing medication. And please do not let the enemy or foolish Christians condemn you for seeking medications to rein in the beasts of anxiety and fear. I want you to know that you are loved and that you are not alone. And I'd love to pray for you this morning. Father, I'm asking for you to help us see us the way you do. Lord, I don't want us to see ourselves through whatever labels we may have slapped on ourselves or medications we have to take or, or not take, but the design of, of your love for us is fully displayed in Christ on the cross. And so I do ask that the enemy would be barred from pouring on shame or guilt on anyone in this room who has uh, had the opportunity to live in a place where we can seek medical treatment for these disorders that do need to be diagnosed Lord, to be able to get their feet under them so that they can rightly handle life again. Thank you for the gift of the medical community in the United States. And I do ask, Jesus, that you would please help us again see ourselves as you see us. It's in your mighty name I'm begging you to do all these things. Amen. In a world with constant breaking news, I feel like this image uh, is the one that we're, we're seeing nonstop. It doesn't stop breaking, does it? I mean, I feel like news is always breaking. I feel like there's always a point right now where if you're on Twitter or you're on Facebook, something is breaking somewhere, and we are kind of feeling the weight of it, and, and, and sometimes even allowing fear and anxiety to be in the driver's seat. Now, there are normal levels of fear that should exist in our lives when we have important decisions to make or when there's a, a problem that presents itself at work or if you're standing at the edge of a cliff, there should be a proper amount of fear on you. Your body's going, hey, whoa, 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 this is intense. Don't take another step. You could die, all right? So these are normal levels of fear. But what happens when we allow fear and anxiety to drive is the question of the day. What happens when we make decisions based on fear? Do we really live? 
When, we, when fear drives, are we really all that we were made to be? And the, 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 the church has to ask herself a question in that if we exist to glorify God... If fear causes us to turn inward, close up shop, grow cold, and shut down, are we actually fulfilling the purpose God gave us? Two recent kids' movies have touched on the subject of fear, both attempting to show how fear works in our lives. The first one is uh, called The Crudes, and I don't know if you've seen it, but it's about a prehistoric family who survives all these major travesties because the dad teaches all of his family to stay afraid. So I want you to see this scene. Tonight we'll hear the story of Crispy Bear. A long time ago, this little bear was alive. She was alive because she listened to her father and lived her life in routine and darkness and terror. So she was happy. But Crispy had one terrible problem. She was filled with curiosity. (laughs) Yes, yes. And one day, while she was in a tree, The curious little bear wanted to climb to the top. And no sooner than she climbed to the top, she saw something new and died. Just like that? Yes. Her last moments of terror still frozen on her face. Same ending as every day. I get it, Dad. I get it. I will never do anything new or different. Good man. (laughs) That line right there gets me. I get it, Dad. I'll never do anything new or different. But it, I, I get that picture of fear. And obviously the movie kind of unfolds and directs and you see new stuff happen. But, but I get that because that's what fear does when, when it drives me. Because I am a perfectionist to the nth degree. I am a perfectionist to the point it freezes me from attempting anything new or different because I might fail at it. Failure keeps me frozen. The fear of failure keeps me from moving, stepping into, or doing anything that God might call me to if it's new. And that scares me. And I know that about myself, that I can let fear drive when a new situation presents itself. The second movie that's come out that's helped kids and us, I think, deal with how fear works is Inside Out. And uh, Fear is my favorite character in the movie because he's obviously hilarious. Uh, But I want you to see how Fear progresses in the life of of Riley, the main character uh, that's in this movie. So... Very nice. Okay, looks like you got this. Very good. Oh, that's right, Look out! That's Fear. He's really good at keeping Riley safe. Easy, easy, huh? My back! Oh, we're good. We're good. Thank you. Thank you very much. And we're back. What was that? Was it a bear? It's a bear. You know bears in San Francisco. I saw a really hairy guy. He looked like a bear. Oh, I'm so jumpy. My nerves are shot. You? I don't want to hear about your nerves. I'll tell you what it is. This move has been a bust. That's what I've been telling you guys. There are at least 37 things for Riley to be scared of right now. Wait, what? Almost finished with the potential disasters. Worst scenario is either quicksand, spontaneous combustion, or getting called on by the teacher. As long as none of those happen. Okay, everybody. We have a new student in class today. Are you kidding me? Out of the gates, this is not happening. On a scale of one to ten, I give this day an F. Well, why don't we quit standing around and do something? Like what, genius? Like quitting. That's what I'm doing. Sure, it's the coward's way out, but this coward's gonna survive. So did you hear it? Did you hear the progression? Uh, uh, Fear keeps Riley safe. 
And then there's a list of 37 things to be afraid of. And then there's a stack of disasters possible, top three being spontaneous combustion, quicksand, and being called on in class. It's funny, we think about it that way, but the reality is that's what fear does. There are healthy levels of fear that cause us and should cause us to pause, but then the question becomes, what happens when fear drives? And fear even said out of his own mouth, I'm out of here, I will survive. And that's really where I feel like fear pushes us into self-preservation. Now is that what the church exists to do? I would say Jesus has a different plan in how we're to live our lives and what is to drive us. For Christ followers to see how much more powerful peace is than fear, you and I need to have a right understanding of what biblical peace looks like. Peace is not simply the absence of conflict, which it can be that. Peace is not simply security, which it can be that. Peace is not simply quiet and rest, which it can be that. Peace, we will find out, is a person. Peace is not a a process or a ten-step list. It is, above all, a person, the person of God. The Old Testament word for peace is shalom, and it gives us the most accurate definition that we'll be using this morning. To pray the shalom of God for someone ultimately points to wholeness, completeness, not just the lack of conflict that we may be thinking. You, may you be complete in your entire being, lacking nothing physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. The entire person is involved. Not only the individual, but this peace also, we, we pray it over communities. Because when someone is lacking nothing, when they are made whole, when they know who they are in God, the result is they work towards that in community with other people, causing the same thing to happen. So you have a community at peace. As one of the people of God, the peace of God rested on them as they devoted themselves to Him. He was the one who stepped into Egypt. He called them out. He rescued them from death. He delivered them from the Egyptians. And He says, look, I want you to cast all your cares, all your worries, all your doubts, all your fears on my shoulders. I was meant to carry them. The people of Israel often referred to God's promise to them as the covenant of peace. God referred to it as a covenant of peace. You will be my people, I will be your God. That was his covenant with the people. Peace was initiated and maintained by God. In Isaiah chapter 26, you will keep in perfect peace, he's talking to his people, all who trust in you, all those whose thoughts are fixed on you. Trust in the Lord always, for the Lord God is the eternal rock. What does it mean to fix our thoughts on God? And it's so funny to me that we ask these questions. We try and justify that we don't know how to fix our thoughts on God. But you and I know exactly how to fix our thoughts on a bill that shows up and we don't have any money left to pay it. You and I know exactly how to fix our thoughts on a pink slip. You and I know exactly how to fix our thoughts on fill in the blank. But when it comes to God, we just don't know how to fix our thoughts on Him. We don't, I don't get that, that doesn't make any sense, so I'm not going to do it. The reality is we know how to fix our thoughts. We do it every day. It's just our thoughts are directed to places that will cause fear to drive. In the same way that you fix your thoughts on that bill, on that doctor's note, on that pink slip, you are to fix your thoughts and pour over the Word of God. That's what we're invited to do. We are invited to see God and His promises and His faithfulness in His Word. 
Psalms 4, 7 and 8 says this, You have given me greater joy than those who have abundant harvests of grain and new wine. The psalmist is saying, look, the Lord, as I look on him and understand who he is and who I am in his kingdom, he's given me more than any of the stuff that I think I need. Verse 8 says, in peace, I will lie down and sleep. We could just pause right there on that phrase alone. You would have thought, because we're so smart and so advanced in the 21st century, that we would not have problems sleeping, but we do, don't we? We think we can invent things, we can do stuff, we can talk and we can type and we can send emails around the world, we can text message people on the other side of the planet, but we can't sleep. Because the things of this world cause us to lay awake at night. Because fear drives. Fear is powerful, but peace is so much greater. You and I are not simply invited to meditate on or think peaceful thoughts. We're not just meant to empty our minds of all negative energy. We are invited to literally consider God. The scriptures invite us to stare at Him through His Word. To look at Him and see if He is trustworthy and faithful and true. We are invited to consider God and fill our brain and our hearts with Him. This is the peace that we see spoken of in Scripture. He alone keeps us. He alone guards us, secures us, provides for us. He goes with us. And this is what the nation of Israel saw. They were challenged that in God alone they would have shalom in the home. (laughs) Hopefully we can be like the psalmist in Psalm 119. I will praise you seven times a day because all your regulations are just. Those who love your instructions have great peace and do not stumble. I guess my question to you is, do you love his words? Do you love the instruction of God? Do you love the fact that He chose to reveal Himself to His people? This understanding that the Creator did not create anything for us to find our hope, our peace, our rest in outside of Him. The Creator is the one who meets all the needs of the creation. So please hear me out that God is not going to create or give you anything in this life that you are meant to find your peace in. You are meant to rest in Him alone. You are meant to hope in Him alone. You are meant to have peace that is given to you by Him alone. He created nothing on this planet to give you more pleasure, joy, satisfaction than Him. You are whole, complete, lacking nothing because of Him. An honest evaluation in my own life, I see the times that I most let fear drive when I fear losing something or when I think I'm lacking something. And I don't know, I may be the only one, but I can. I have begun to recognize quicker in this life when I let fear drive. The idea of losing status, relationships, finances, jobs, security, when I fear that that loss is coming, I let fear drive. And then when I think I'm lacking something, status, security, finances, job, it typically is all the same things, but when I feel like I'm lacking something, I can let fear. Fear do its thing. 
And because in God alone we find everything we need, I will not lack and I cannot lose because it's all His. And if He has pointed us to eternity, the security that He gives us, the provision that He gives us, the protection that He gives us cannot be lost. So if I'm not lacking anything, nor can I lose anything, do I need to be a person of fear? The answer is no. I can walk in His perfect peace. This is the power of the peace of Christ. This is why peace is a person. Nearly 600 years before Jesus was born, the prophet Isaiah announced the rescuer, the one who would bring wholeness to his people. In Isaiah chapter 9, this is what we read. For a child is born to us, a son is given to us, the government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of Heaven's armies will make this happen. This is the stuff we're to build our lives on. The passionate zeal of the Lord will make that happen. This is where we begin to go, I should be considering God a lot more in today's society. I should be looking at His Word way more in today's society. We live in a day and an age where we actually, it's it's, it's strange to me that the church becomes more offended by the Word of God than the culture. We live in a day and age where we are like, oh, how dare God's Word say that? But yet we love everything the culture is saying. The reality is, folks, if you say you love Jesus, if you say you love God, but you don't love His Word, do you really love Him? For me, if I say to my wife, Hey, I love you, but I'd never want to hear you say a word. Do I really love my wife? This is where we are at. This is why there is no peace, because we may or may not know anything about God's word. We may or may not know anything about God. And so in our brains, we've got this idea that God's supposed to give me peace. Well, actually, he's just this bearded dude with sandals that stands over in the corner, but I call the shots for my life. I do everything on my own. But when I want Jesus to be around, well, he says he's around, but then I'm going to run to him. This is, can't be the case for the church. We're going to let fear drive because we don't know him. We don't know his words. We don't love his instructions. So we will not lie down in perfect peace. But it's when we know of his faithfulness, we see his promises, we know that he is true, that we can lay our heads down at the end of the evening. Before Jesus' birth, John the Baptist's father, Zechariah, in his praise to God, he's describing what John is going to do, but then he describes this Prince of Peace in Luke chapter 1. And you, my little son, he's talking to John the Baptist, will be called the prophet of the Most High because you will prepare the way for the Lord. You will tell his people how to find salvation through forgiveness of their sins. Because of God's tender mercy, the morning light from heaven is about to break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide us to the path of peace. Peace is a person. In the New Testament, the word for peace is one that you and I are more familiar with, meaning the interruption of a continual state of war. For the person who understands their position outside of Christ, there is a war going on. And way before sin is an outer action, sin is an inward posture. Sin is my heart saying, I really don't want God's ways. I don't really know about God's ways, and I want to do things my way. And when the gospel interrupts, you go, oh, wow, there is another way. 
There is another way to love, to live, to interact, to be a part of your kingdom. And it's not by my list keeping. It's not by my rule following. It's not by my ideas. But Lord, your ideas of salvation are way different than mine. And so the peace that we see spoken of so often in the New Testament is that of the removal of the conflict between us and God. Firstly, being at peace, no longer at war. Romans 8 says it this way, So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death, but letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws and it never will. Our default position is to do our own thing. Our default position is to run after what we want and what we think and what we like. And on the outside, those things may look good, but the reality is God says, you are lacking if you don't have me. That is the first, first connection of peace, understanding of peace. This war between me and God has to be ended, and the way it's ended is through surrender. Peace comes through surrender to God's way and his kingdom And ultimately, his Messiah, Jesus, the one who came to rescue us. In Acts chapter 10, the disciples announced this good news. This is the message of good news for the people of Israel, that there is peace with God through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. Instead of a list of things for us to do or to accomplish to have peace with God, and this is our natural tendency, right? I mean, you go on the internet and say how to have peace, it's all these top 10 lists. Here are the top 10 things you can do to have peace. Go on a walk. Get out your yoga mat, noise-canceling headphones, sit by a river, um, drown out negativity in your friends and people. How do you, I don't know how you do that. I don't know how you drown out negativity. I'm not sure how that works um, because it never works. It doesn't. There's always something going on. Separate yourself from people who bring you down. Now, look, here's the thing. These top ten lists are great. They're good. They're, they're appropriate for certain seasons of life. Yes. Do I need noise-canceling headphones in my house? Yes, I do need noise-canceling headphones in my house. Do I need to go for a hike? Yes, I do need to go for a hike. Do I need to sit by a stream? Yes, I need to sit by a stream. But these are not, firstly, what God invites us to. Because the way, this path to peace that we are invited to is an inside-out, not outside-in transformation. This person is Jesus And because Jesus lived a sinless life, he died a sinner's death and rose from the dead, through faith, I have access to not only this absence of conflict between me and God, but I also have access to the wholeness of God. I am complete in him, lacking nothing. Paul often opened and closed his letters with the phrase grace and peace. This wasn't a wishful thinking. This wasn't him going, I hope you have grace and I hope you get some peace. It was actually a reminder of what we have access to in Christ as his children. Listen to the power of allowing the peace of Christ to drive us. Colossians 3 says this, And let the peace that comes from Christ Rule in your hearts. This is why I say to you, if your relationship with Jesus is isolated to him standing off in the corner and you only go run to him, if something happens, you will not have the peace of Christ. You have something that you've created in your brain that kind of makes you happy, but it's not ruling. The peace of Christ is to rule our hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace. And always be thankful. You will find that thanksgiving is connected to the peace of Christ. The reason the peace of Christ can rule in the believer's heart is because our lives are literally hid in His. That's the beauty, the power of the gospel is that I have died to sin. That's what baptism is. It's this picture of 
dead to sin, but I don't stay under the water. You stay under the water? I didn't stay under the water. I don't want people to stay under the water. I want to come out of the water. And so many times as Christ followers, we're like, look at all that we died for. We died to partying and girls and life and stuff and all I got is Jesus. No, the reality is, man, I've died to all that stuff. And now i got Christ in me. He lives in me, dwells in me, woke me up, brought me to life. I have lost nothing. Everything else is garbage in comparison to knowing Christ and Him crucified. That's what Paul said. Right? I mean, that's a... We sometimes choose to go, you know, look at all I gave up. No, look at all you gained, folks. Look at all that we have been given. The inheritance, the sonship, the peace, the life, the, the freedom over sin and death, the, the freedom from, you know, from the, the penalty of sin, no longer separated but brought from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. Look at all that we've gained. When that happens, the peace of Christ rules your heart. The term go in peace was a phrase used in the New Testament when restoration had happened. Jesus used it when he healed the man on the mat, the paralyzed man on the mat. He told the man to go in peace. That peace was not just him getting up and being whole, but he had actually been made right with God because he forgave his sins first. When he forgave the woman who had the shady background, backstory at, 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 the, at the dinner, he said to her, go in peace. She was now whole. She was now restored. She had now been reconciled to God through the presence of Christ. In the Old Testament, go in peace was often spoken to people when they were about to embark on a journey that was going to be difficult. There are a couple of different stories that really stand out in my head, specifically for today. Hannah was a, a she's, she's the mother of one of my favorite Bible characters, and she was barren, and so she decides to go to the temple, and she just begins to pray, and she pours her heart out before God. The priest actually comes outside and thinks she's drunk because she's praying so intensely. She says, no, I'm not drunk. I, I, I just want the Lord to open my womb and I want to have a child and I'm going to commit him to the Lord if he'll let me. And the priest says to Hannah, go in peace. May the Lord do as you've asked. Do you think Hannah went home unaware of the fear and anxiety that may rise in her life? Absolutely not. I can guarantee you she walked with fear and anxiety, but she knew that the Lord went with her. So the priest wasn't saying, hey, it's going to be a cakewalk as you walk out that door after you've made your request to God. No, go in peace, knowing that he goes with you. When Moses was about to return to Egypt and do all that he was going to do, Jethro, his father-in-law, said to him, go in peace. Do you think Jethro thought, hey, this is going to be bubblegum and Skittles for you? Do you think Jethro was like, oh man, it's going to be like the yellow brick road. It's going to be so smooth and perfect and nothing's going to go wrong ever. And you're going to sing songs. No. <laughs> Jethro was saying, the God of Israel will go with you. Go in peace. Hannah and Moses both continued in their daily lives and both faced these challenges. Both had reason to fear, but both were reminded of the peace of God. They lacked nothing. And he would be their provider. He would care for them. He would guard them. He would protect them. He would secure them. He would be enough. I told, I've told this story a, a bunch of times because it was the Lord speaking directly to me. And uh, as I was flying back into Asheville a couple years ago, um, if you've ever flown into Asheville, you can hit some crazy turbulence. Like coming into the Asheville airport, those mountains, they just, just hit something right, and man, 
Well, we did one time, and I was flying in, and it, I don't typically get rattled. I typically am pretty cool, calm, and collected anytime turbulence happens because I don't want anybody to think I'm a coward or anything. I just kind of sit there. I'm like, that wasn't bad. <sighs> oh, God. But we hit a rough patch coming in, and it was just before we landed, and it shook the plane big time. Like, I thought masks were going to fall out. I thought it was that kind of shake. It was. But the woman in front of me, she didn't hold it together. Like, she is like, ah! she starts screaming and shaking. And it was like this crazy picture. I'm like, this is hilarious. That wasn't the best part. Best part is dude sitting on the aisle across from her, not even with her, reaches across the aisle, grabs the lady's arm and says, lady, chat. It gets better. The fact that he boldly did that was awesome. But the reasoning that he gave to this woman changed things for me. And I was like, I have to write this down because, Lord, it's you. You know what I'm dealing with right now. He says, lady, look at the flight attendant. If she's worried, then I'm worried. But she doesn't look worried. And I kid you not, the lady, I, I'm, in my brain, it was like her, you know, you know. I, I thought, but it wasn't. She was, she was calm. She didn't, she didn't have anything to look on her face. But that's really where I began to understand where our eyes are to be fixed. We can be fixed on the breaking news or we can be fixed on the God who knows the breaking news before it happens. Our eyes can be fixed where perfect peace comes from, from God alone. And as the band comes and we close tonight, today, Victor Hugo, the brilliant mind behind Les Mis, said it this way, Have courage for the great sorrows of life and patience for the small ones. And when you have finished your daily task, go to sleep in peace. God is awake. He doesn't sleep. He doesn't slumber. He is awake. You do what you can with the day that you've been given. You put your head on the pillow because God is awake. This is the beauty of the peace that comes from God. And it's different from any other type of peace the world might try to afford. It's different from sitting on a yoga mat in a room by yourself or climbing a mountain and sitting up there by yourself. What happens when the peace of God invades the heart of a person is that we, we become workers towards the peace of others. Matthew chapter 5 says this, God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. Those who are His, who know the wholeness, who know the removal of conflict between us and God, will be people who work towards the wholeness and the peace of others. The church doesn't close up shop and say, well, we got peace now, we're done. No, the reality is there are many who are lacking physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. The church asks the questions, we have been made whole, we have been given peace. How do we go out those doors and invite others to it as well? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Peace doesn't cause us to stay put, it actually launches us out. Peace doesn't cause us to retreat or divide. Peace causes us to advance and to build. Jesus, the Prince of Peace, has removed all walls of hostility between us and everyone else. Peace is not a ten-step process. It's a person. When Jesus, the Prince of Peace, reigns in the hearts of His people, we work towards the peace of others, the wholeness of of others. Philippians 4, Miss Sue read that this morning. Don't worry about anything. 
Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He has done. This is why you have to know His Word. Because if you're just going, God, thanks for money, you don't know all that God has done before you came on the scene. There are promises that affect us that are found in God's Word that we are to hold to because God is faithful and true. Thank Him for all that He has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. See, this is why I say, if your, if your version of Jesus is the guy who stands over in the corner with a beard and some sandals, and you're living your own life, doing your own thing, you will not experience the peace of Christ For those in Christ, living in Christ, His peace is a game changer. In a world that is consistently out of control and in chaos and breaking news, the mark of the church has always been peace. Historically, it's recorded for us by secular historians that when Rome burned, Christians ran in, not out. That's peace. That's peace understanding you lack no good thing and you can't lose a thing because it is tethered to Christ Jesus, the eternal rock. That's peace. Friends, that is greater than fear. So much greater than fear. So as you walk in this season of Christmas and as we consider the presence of Christ and His peace, let it rule in your hearts. Let it rule in your hearts. We'll close this morning as we do every Sunday, and we invite you guys to consider if, if you're sitting there struggling and you would like some prayer, or if you're just like, I, I just, I'm, I'm, at a pl- I'm at a spot and I just need somebody to pray for me. Our elders and our gel leaders will be standing over on this side of the room, and they don't ask you to fill out a piece of paper or fill out a card. All they would say is they're available. They'd love to pray for you, encourage you. And I'll be standing over here, and if you're still sitting there going, this Prince of Peace idea, this whole peace as a person, how does that work? What does that look like? I'd love to continue that conversation with you as well. But this morning, peace, it's greater than fear. It has more possibilities, more capability, more, more launching power than fear ever could for the church. And we, as the people of God, we rest in God's peace which causes us to go in his peace.